I love, oh my gosh, I could just dive into a big pan of cookies and just eat my way out of them. I love cookies. Um, my wife likes cookies too, but my wife likes cookies in a different way than I do. Like, I'll go buy a pack of cookies, and you know, you can go to the store and you can buy the dough already made up in those little packs. You know, I'll go buy those and I bring them home because uh, I'm lazy and I don't want to mix everything up. So I buy the packs and bring them home. I bring home a pack of chocolate chip cookies, and a lot of times before we can cook the cookies, my wife has broke into the pack and snatched like two or three or sometimes four of those cookie dough sections and just, just eats them. That makes sense, doesn't it? Y'all are like, yeah. Y'all like cookie dough? All right. My wife likes cookie dough, but she likes it, I mean, in an extreme way. If I'm not careful, if we let the pack sit in the fridge long enough without cooking them, she will kill the whole pack of cookies before we have a chance to make them. Now, I like cookie dough. I've had it. It tastes good. It's really good in ice cream. Cookie dough ice cream is like some kind of magical creation. You know, I love it. But... I like baked cookies a little bit better than I like cookie dough. Because you can't take cookie dough and dip it in a glass of cold milk like you can dip a baked chocolate chip cookie in a glass of cold milk. When you dip a cookie in cold milk, something heavenly takes place. Like, I really believe heaven stops. And God looks off his throne and goes, yes, they understand they understand how this stuff is supposed to work. I think when somebody dips a cookie in milk and eats it, that somewhere a cute little puppy is born in the world. And angels get their wings. And, and some, <laughs> Did I hear a, oh, my gosh, out there? I finally got one. See, I believe that stuff happens. But my, life, my wife likes to eat them before we get to that point. And I'm like, man, you're missing out on so much. You, there's like four or six cookies that are never going to get to experience cold milk. Like you robbed the cookie of the opportunity to experience milk. She's cruel. So, but I think she's addicted to that. So we might need to have an intervention for my wife to help her get over her cookie dough addiction. So if you guys can help me. Josh, why are you telling us that? Because you're cheaper than therapy. That's why I'm telling you. Y'all can help me process through this as a pastor because I'm trying to understand my wife. Even though we've been married for umpteen dozen years now, I'm still figuring out stuff about my wife. Um, but other stuff that's not cooked completely, though, doesn't work like cookie dough. Like, you can't take chicken and eat it raw. Not for too long, anyway. That's going to backfire on you in a hurry. Chicken's a lot better when it's cooked, you know, when it's gone through the process of preparation. Um, now, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know what? That's a good way to segue into this conversation, because a lot of times we're guilty and other people are guilty of taking information and forming opinions and stances and creating talking points about subject matter without letting the information go to the point of completion. And sometimes we're guilty of forming opinions and outlooks on things on half-baked truths that haven't had an opportunity to form and develop properly. You understand? Um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there 
when it comes to the subject matter that we're going to talk about today. All parties included. Um, misconceptions from the church towards the homosexual community. Misconceptions from the homosexual community about the church. And there's even confusion in the church about what the Bible says concerning this subject matter and how we're supposed to approach it. Like if I was going to line everybody up in this building and ask me your opinion and what your solution to addressing this issue in culture was going to be, I guarantee you we would have some biblically correct approaches and we would have some approaches that probably didn't land on the pages of Scripture. And so what we want to do today is kind of bring all that together, have a good discussion, lay out what the Bible says, and address it, and equip you as a church to be able to at least approach this um, from a better equipped standpoint. Make sense? That's what we're going to do. I'm not going to be preaching so much today as I'm going to be talking to you and teaching a little bit. Um, but you guys stay with me, okay? Don't tune out. Don't get tense. Don't get uncomfortable. Look, this doesn't have to be an uncomfortable uh, topic to talk about. Amen? doesn't have to be. Um, there's a lot of myths out there, though, concerning this stuff. And uh, I want to talk about some of those myths. And the first one is this, is that God hates homosexual and bisexual and transgender people. That's a myth. That's a myth. God does not hate homosexual, bisexual, and transgender people. He doesn't. Scripture says that God loves everybody that's on this earth. Everyone. Without exception. The Bible says that God loves the people of this world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for all of our sins. Now, that includes you, that includes me, and that includes people whose sexual preference might not match up with ours. That includes people that gossip, that includes people that slander, that includes people that murder, that includes people that party and get drunk. That includes all the world. God's motive towards us is love. Everybody say love. His motive towards us is love. And there are some people that actually believe that God's on his throne looking down on this people group with hate. And with malice. And he's ready to just strike them all with a lightning bolt. And you can't find that anywhere in scripture. You can't. Now does God bring, are there consequences to behavior? Yeah. Does God sometimes judge the earth? Yes. But God's motive towards us after Jesus' death on the cross is love. And he wants us to receive his grace, his forgiveness, and understand his passion and his purpose for our lives. God loves them just as much as he loves you. No difference at all. No difference at all. The second myth is this, and this one is a little more at home with us in the church because there is some confusion. Some people think that God understands that lifestyle, and through love, he gives approval to that lifestyle. Now, this is only half true. This is only half true because God does understand what these people are feeling, and how they're processing things. If you're here today and, and you have attraction to someone of the same sex, or you're here today and you're in an open homosexual relationship or, or transgender or, or, or you know, you're, you're, you're filtering through and figuring out your sexual identity because you may be here today and that might be you, I want you to know God understands that. But there's a misconception in church, though, that God approves of that lifestyle. And you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. And what's happened is uh, political talking points kind of worked its way into church world. 
And we're seeing that in, in churches, especially all over this country. Um, you're seeing it over in Europe a lot, but it's popping up here more in this country, especially over the last 10 years or so, where we think that God is a God of love, and he not, he not only understands, but he approves, and he will let you it just nowhere in Scripture will you find anything like that. And we're going to dig into this a little bit later in the message today. But the third myth is this. And this is a big one from the outside looking in. The third myth is that Christians are closed-minded, that we're homophobes, and that we hate everyone that's associated with the LGBTQIA community. That's a myth. Now, there might be some people that attend churches that feel this way. But I would dare step out and say that is not the majority of the people that attend church. And that is not the majority of the people that call Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's not that our motive towards you isn't hate, and we're not closed-minded. We just have a belief system that we adhere to, and it might not match up with yours, but you can't look at what we believe and say that it's wrong and force us to accept what you say is right for your life. Because for us to do that would be a, a heinous violation of something that we consider to be sacred and holy and to do something to hurt a God that we love and we care about so deeply. So it's a myth. It's a myth. Now, I'm not going to say that there aren't people. There may be people here today in your heart. You don't understand that lifestyle. And if you had to be honest, you have a strong dislike or even a hate towards someone who lives this lifestyle. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, let God speak to you a little bit. Because overall, we've got to stand on the side of love if we're going to impact and reach people, regardless of what's going on in their life. Homosexuality, same-sex marriage, all that stuff aside, if we don't approach issues with love, we're in trouble as a church. Hate never reached anybody. Hate never reached anybody. So we're going to have a conversation about this stuff. Now listen, if you're here today and you feel a strong desire towards the same sex. And if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're not here today and you're going to listen to this podcast later, and you feel uh, an attraction and a desire towards the same sex, and you're here today and um, maybe you're, you're in a relationship with the same sex, and maybe you've even been married to a person of the same sex, and somehow this podcast has landed in front of you, I want you to, to hear my heart on a few things regarding God, this church, and myself, Okay? I want you to know this. Number one is that you matter to God. You absolutely matter to God. Now, God loves you. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And God wants you to experience His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy and all of the joy of life that He wants to give you. You absolutely matter to God. And don't let anyone else tell you anything different than that because you do matter to God. And because God loves you, and because God cares about you, and because you matter to God, you matter to this church. Okay? You matter to this church. We can never, as a church, reach a place where we close our doors to anybody because of what they struggle with in their lives, what their vices might be, regardless of the sin. It doesn't matter. Or what we would consider sin, it doesn't matter. Or the lifestyle, it doesn't matter. 
Because if Jesus said that people matter, then people matter. It doesn't matter whether or not we agree with them. It doesn't matter or not whether or not we would prefer them to live the way that they live. It doesn't matter because they matter. They mattered enough for Jesus Christ to shed his blood, to die on a cross for. He, they, if they mattered that much, they mattered to this church. And not just because they matter to God, but because we as a church love people and our motive towards people should be love regardless. So you matter. You matter. And you will always have a place here at LifePoint Church. And I pray that you always have a place in churches in this community. And I pray that you're never ostracized or made to feel less than. I pray that the doors are always open for you to be able to come in and experience the same presence and same power and the same love of the God that I serve. And you matter to me. You matter to me as a pastor. Because I have seen over the years... And heard over the years actions and words towards you that have broken my heart. And I believe grieved the heart of God. Because in some circles, not everywhere, but in some circles, you've been singled out as a people group. And you've been talked about and abused. And you've been persecuted in ways by churches that, and, and some churches have been incredibly, incredibly hateful in their actions towards you. Um, I want you to know that that's not my heart. I want you to know that God loves you, that this church loves you, and that I love you, and you have just as much right to worship God in this place and allow him to influence and impact and change your lives as anyone else because we all struggle with this stuff called sin. It just manifests itself in different ways. Amen? Um, now, if you're here... And you got a, a, a steep church background, and you're really versed in Scripture. Right now, you're squirming a little bit, and you're looking at me going, Oh, my gosh, are you about to come out? <laughs> I'm not about to come out. I'm not about to come out. I'm not setting anything up like that, okay? I'm trying to create a really good platform to get into this message because I want people to understand our motive and our approach towards this has to be full spectrum with the Word of God. Okay, And you can't just point something out as being wrong without going full spectrum with the Word of God. If we're going to preach the Word of God, we need to preach the Word of God and the whole counsel of truth. And that says you point it out, but you speak with love. Amen? Amen. And so that's, that's the approach that we're going to take. Um, and, and so you might be here and you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Josh, you've got to get to this. You've got to break out the truth. You've got to speak the truth. You've got to speak the truth. Everybody's always talking about speaking the truth. And I believe you do need to speak the truth. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says here in just a little bit. But listen, listen, we've got to stand on the side of love because speaking truth doesn't mean that we should be rude arrogant or insensitive in what we say and how we approach subject matter. And we've been real guilty in church circles of taking that liberty, and we don't have it to give. When we take that step, we become just as guilty as anybody else that commits any sin in this world. When our motives and our hearts shift like that, we open the door for a lot of trouble. So we don't have the right necessarily to do that. Now, there are times when you've got to draw the line and refuse to move on scriptural truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that we present the truth and explain why we believe what we believe. That's what I'm talking about. 
Okay, so everybody with me? Yeah. All right. Um, I always hear people talking about um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and they always say, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, have you guys ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 6? You guys read that? We're going to look at it today. They've already got it up on the screens. But I want to point something out to you because we're still, I'm still um, kind of laying the groundwork for this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, snap. This list is a little bit longer than people that choose a gay lifestyle. This list is a little bit longer than people that are attracted to people of the same sex. Huh. Anybody in here ever been a wrongdoer? We in trouble. We in trouble. Um, Look at this. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. Idolaters. You know what idolatry is? It's when we let anything take the place in our lives that God is supposed to have. Anything. That means this football season, when you go ape over your team and start skipping Sundays... That means when you start spending... More stuff, more money on stuff for you than you invest in advancing the kingdom. When, when anything switches and takes the place in our lives that God is supposed to have, that's considered idolatry. When you're in a relationship with someone and they get all of your attention and all of your devotion and the world ceases to exist and it's just them, that's dangerous ground to walk on. That's in this list too. I'll be doggone. How about that? How about that? Sexually immoral, idolaters, or adulterers? Huh. Nor men who have sex with men. Now it is in there, and there it is. It's listed in Scripture. Nor thieves. You guys ever cheated on your taxes? You guys ever walked out of a grocery store not paying for a can of soup and saw it and then just kept going because you thought you deserved it and God was blessing you? You know what I mean? That's what Christians do, right? That's what we do. I got that can of soup for free. God must be blessing me today. Yeah. 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 Thieves, my goodness. You ever not paid your tithes? Yeah, is that? Maybe we should get back to talking about homosexuality. All right, that's a little more. That's a little less tense. Okay. Um, Slanderers. Slanderers. You ever talk smack about somebody behind their back? Now, we fuss when people do it to us, but have you ever been guilty of doing it? It's in the same list. That's amazing. See, the same Paul that pointed this out in Romans is a big issue that people always quote Romans. People always quote Romans. Well, Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians, but he brings balance to it. And he puts it in a list with a whole lot of other stuff. It's amazing to me. Um, Slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Now look at verse 11. This is powerful. 
And that is just what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul goes through the trouble here of listing a whole bunch of different sin and a whole lot of different categories and a whole lot of different struggles that we all have dealt with and our pastor might be dealing with today. And he says, hey, we all, we all had that problem, but we were washed. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we're sanctified, and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, listen to me, because this is going to rock some of your worlds, because Paul is talking about the homosexual in past tense who has been washed and cleaned by the blood of Jesus. There are some people that believe that if you engage in that lifestyle, that it's hopeless and God can't redeem you, and it's not scripturally true. The same blood of Jesus that paid the price for our sins pays the price for every sin. Every sin. And we got to be careful sometimes because in, in the Christian community, we like to be, how can I say this? We, we like sometimes to point out issues that other people have and ignore issues that we might be dealing with in our lives. We like to, instead of like what it says in the, in, in the book of James, instead of taking the word of God and letting it be a mirror that shows a reflection of our true selves, so that we can see, so we can see what to give over to God. So we can see the stuff that we need to work on. So we can see what God needs to do in our lives. It, sometimes we like to take that word of God and flip it around. Instead of being a, a mirror, we let it become a magnifying glass that we use to look at other people. It's only in church that you can hear somebody say, I'm so glad I'm not gay while they're cheating on their spouse. It's only in church where you can hear somebody say, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with same-sex struggles like that. I'm so glad when they're lying and gossiping about half the church. See, we like to magnify the faults of others and overlook the faults that we might have. And so a lot of times in church circles, we're guilty of creating a platform for for this struggle with same-sex desire that doesn't need to exist. And part of the reason for that is because it's so politicized. And it's so talked about, especially in recent years, especially when the whole debate broke out years ago about same-sex marriage and whether or not it should be legalized and, and all of that. Man, it split friends. It split families. It destroyed Thanksgiving dinners. Like It just, boom, it just blew up. And uh, scripturally, it's no more big a deal than somebody who can't control their mouth. Because sin is just sin. Amen? Um, so, let's look at the topic of gender identity and the parameters of marriage, because you might be here today and you, you might know this stuff. You might be here today and you might have questions about this. You might be listening to the podcast and you might have questions about this. So we're going to read uh, a passage of scripture in Matthew in just a second. We're not going to get there yet because I want to I explain something to you before we get there. I'm a follower of Jesus, not because of what he said. And Jesus said a lot of powerful stuff. Jesus said a lot of profound stuff. 
but I'm not a follower of him because of what he said. Because there have been a lot of great people through history that have said some profound things. There are a lot of great quotes out there. There's a lot of great philosophy out there. Uh, I don't follow Jesus, really, because of how he lived his life. Because, you know, Jesus lived uh, a life submitted to God, and he lived a sacrificial life. But there have been a lot of people in history that have lived sacrificial lives for their causes. You know, and, and while I think Jesus li lived a great life, and he did a lot of awesome things, I don't follow him because of that. I follow Jesus, and I devote my life to my Lord and Savior because of an empty tomb. An empty tomb. I follow Jesus because of what he did. Because if there wasn't an empty tomb, because my Savior was resurrected, then none of the stuff that he said and none of the stuff that he did would have the weight or the merit that it has. When Jesus rose from the dead, it gave validity to everything that he said because it proved that he was who he said that he was. And it proved that he could do what he said that he could do. And, and it's not just something that you read in Scripture. There's tons of evidence to support the resurrection. Um, not, not only, let's just starting with the, the guards that were guarding the tomb. When they went back and said, hey, we don't know where this guy is, that was a death sentence to them. Because they were supposed to guard that tomb and make sure nobody messed with it. So for them to go back and be honest enough, something happened that messed with them enough to go back and say, hey, I know you're going to kill us for this, but we don't know where that joker is right now. Um, he appeared to the disciples. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. Over 500. You know how many people it takes to convict you of a crime as an eyewitness? One, two... Three, not a lot. Got over 500 people saying, hey, he ain't dead. We just saw him. We just had, we had uh, lunch with him. We, we, he appeared here. We just, we, the guy's not there anymore, you know? So not just in Scripture, but in historical documents. We have historical documents outside of Scripture that point to the fact that there was a joker that got crucified who was laid in a grave, and then he's alive walking around, and nobody understands what's going on. It's a well-documented part of history. It's a well-documented part of history. That gives validity to everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, and that's why I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do you say that, Josh? Because on the topic of gender identity and on the topic of the confines of marriage and what it's supposed to represent, I could quote other scriptures to you, but I want to go straight to the mouth of my Savior and give you his point of view on it and see what he references as the definition and the parameters around gender and marriage. Can we do that? You guys still with me? All right, Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 4. Some, some religious leaders came up and they began questioning Jesus about the process for divorce and what was permissible. And in Jesus' response to them, he goes back and references the, um, the creation process that you find in Genesis chapter 2. And Jesus says, now haven't you read? Now that's huge because Jesus is referring to a block of scripture here. He says, haven't you, haven't you read? He replied, at the beginning, the creator, that's God, made them male 
and female. So we've got male and female. There's an identity for your two genders. And he said, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So now you have male, female, you have husband and wife. And the two will become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus' reference to gender and marriage here is powerful. This is Jesus talking here. And he didn't give any leeway in what he said. Man, woman, husband, wife, together. No exception in that. No wiggle room. And because this is what Jesus referenced, this is what I hold to be truth in my life, and this is what I would interpret to be truth from Scripture because it lines up with several other accounts. But this is Jesus speaking. So for me, marriage exists in the confines of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, together. And outside of that, in light of Scripture, there's no place for it. Okay? Now, there's a lot of confusion in some circles in the church on that. But I just read you what Jesus said about it. And I can't have any other outlook or any other opinion or any other interpretation of what Scripture says because it came from Jesus. But, but, I just gave you the what. I want to give you the why. Okay? I want to give you the why. Because some people would think, well, that's extremely closed-minded, and the Bible is an archaic book. And you know what? Gravity is an old law of physics. But it still applies pretty truthful to today. If you think gravity is too low, old of a law, just I, you know, I don't want to invite you to jump out a window and just test it today, just because you may or not believe in it. But it's constant. God's word is firm, and God's word is true, and God's word is eternal, and it's never going to change. It's never going to change. But I want to explain to you why, because I think sometimes people don't explain why. We give a lot of what, but we don't give a lot of why. So. Based on what Jesus referenced in Scripture, I want to walk you through some horrible drawings that I did to illustrate this. I can't draw at all. I just absolutely can't draw. So I'm going to try to show you some pictures that I drew up to illustrate this. So we're going to start with a box, just a box. That's an okay box. So this box, inside the box, is going to represent safety. It's going to represent protection. Okay, this is not a new illustration. Some of y'all may have seen this before. But inside this box, safety, protection. Inside this box, we're okay. If this box were a fence and I put my kid in it, and it, it would protect my kid from everything outside the fence. Now, me being a good parent, I would look at my three-year-old, who is a Tasmanian devil. 
And I'd say to her, listen, you can go play in the yard, but you can't go outside the fence because there's traffic out there. There are people that might snatch you and try to run off with you. There's some animals that might try to get at you. Stay in the fence and you'll be You'll be safe. Now, if I'm a good parent, I'm going to give those parameters and that, that explanation to my kid, right? If I was a bad parent, I would say I'd throw her out there and I wouldn't check on her and I'd say, you know what? She can make her own choices and I'll just let her do what she wants to do. Half of Douglas County would be destroyed by 1 o'clock in the afternoon because she'd get out and wreak havoc. Like, I'd be like, please take your daughter back. We just can't handle it. We had to call in the National Guard. And I'm like, I know. Have you seen my house? You know, so... So inside this box are parameters and safety. Now, when Jesus addressed marriage, he put it inside the parameters of God's standard and God's intention. And so he put in the box first, he put a man and a woman. Man and woman inside. And then he defined the roles. He said the man is going to be the husband and the woman will be the wife. So you got an H and a W down there. So I'm H-man. My wife is W-woman. That's what she is. Superheroes in marriage. Man, woman, husband, and wife. Then Jesus does something crazy, and he references sex. (laughs) Yeah. He references sex. Now, everything that God's given us as a gift, is good. Amen? For example, the gift of taste. I like the gift of taste because I like to eat food. I like the gift of taste because without taste, I couldn't enjoy coffee, the nectar of the gods. I could not enjoy the beautiful creation of coffee. When God created the world in six days, you know what he did when he sat down on the seventh day to rest? He drank a cup of coffee. That's just my opinion. Probably you're not going to find that in Scripture, but... So, so when God creates is good, God created sex. Everybody go ahead and say sex. God created sex. So I, I say this, and people sometimes get worried about this, but listen, when, when God was walking in the Garden of Eden after creation, he didn't catch Adam and Eve behind the tree doing stuff and go, oh my gosh, what are y'all doing? Stop. He created it. And sex is a good thing. Amen. Let the married people say amen. amen. Look, if it's not good, you're doing it wrong. That's something we can talk about on another week. Uh, we'll do a married couples retreat, and I don't know how we would do that, but we'll just find some scripture somewhere. So God created, <laughs> God created and put man, woman, husband, wife, and sex in his definition of how they're supposed to operate with the parameters that he put in scripture. Now, outside of this box, outside of this box, anything outside of this box is sin. Anything. Now, I'm not just hammering on the homosexual lifestyle right now or same-sex marriage. Okay, that wouldn't fit in that box because you've got man, woman, together, husband, wife, marriage, together, sex, obviously, together. Um, You've got that. But anything that doesn't fit in that box, the Bible says, is sin. Now, that includes, are you ready for this? That includes the husband who cheats on his wife. Okay? That includes the two 
the two people that are dating, not married, but having sex. That doesn't fit in the box that Jesus gave us. That includes the man or woman at home looking at pornography. It doesn't fit in the box that Jesus gave us. Because this, this thing is, is not about just homosexuality. This issue in Scripture is about a broader picture and a broader subject called sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is anything that we do that does not fit into the biblical definition and the biblical parameters of how this is supposed to operate between a man, woman, who are married to each other. Who are married to, you got to say that today, who are married to each other. Sex is a gift that God gave us for intimacy in that relationship. Intimacy, not identification. Sex exists for intimacy between a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage, not sexual identification. Culture days grabbed it and tried to turn it into something that Scripture never intended. Okay? Y'all still with me? Um, Now, if you're here, and you're wrestling with this issue of same-sex attraction, you might feel like I just shot a torpedo at you. Now, Josh was real nice in the beginning, and he said some cool stuff, and he kind of touched on stuff a little bit, but now he just kind of hammered this in a little bit and put, put this marriage definition in the thing that it's just, it's just now, now I feel like I'm being attacked, and that's not my intention at all. It's not my intention at all. So anything outside of this box, though, opens us up to danger. It opens us up to hurt that we don't have to experience to potential medical issues that we don't have to experience. About one in four people right now are carrying sexually transmitted diseases. Look, if you want to roll the dice on that as a single person and have sex with all the people that you want to, those aren't good odds. It's a whole lot safer in the parameters that God gave us. Um, But you can't get outside of that. Because this is what Jesus said. These are the guidelines that Jesus gave us. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, and the pushback I get sometimes from, from people in the, the homosexual community, you, you, get, you, get a lot of, um, you get a lot of different reasons, but there's usually three main reasons, three, three main explanations that they give. And the first one is this. They're going to say... I was born this way. I was born this way. I was born with this desire. I was born with this. I didn't ask for it. I didn't choose it. It's there inside of me, and I don't know what to do with it. I was born this way. Now, this is what I'm going to say to you. Because I don't doubt that that's how, that I don't doubt that those desires that you feel are legitimate. I don't doubt that you're feeling a certain kind of way. And I would actually agree with you. I would agree that you were probably born that way. Everybody in this church is plotting my death right now. What, what he just born? What, what are you talking about? I don't doubt that you were born with those desires. In the same way that I know I was born with desires as a man 
to go out and to try to have sex with every good-looking woman that would let me have sex with her. They're right. It doesn't make that desire right, does it? See, here's what I'm getting at. Some of y'all are like, you better fix this real fast, Pastor Josh, because all this stuff is a choice, and we all know that it's a choice. But maybe it's not. Because the Bible says that we were all born into sin. We didn't get a choice in the matter when it came to that. Now, after Christ, after we're set free from sin in our lives, we have a choice. When we sin after Christ, we're sinning in, in potential freedom because we choose to allow that in our lives because we had the freedom to say no to sin after Jesus has saved us. That becomes a growth issue, okay? But before we're saved, and we got no choice in that. We've got no choice in that. So I don't doubt that you have that desire in you because we were all born with some kind of carnal desire. We were all born with some kind of issue of sin in our lives that wants to pull us in a direction that's contrary to the Word of God. I don't doubt that at all. See, a lot of people think sometimes with this, sometimes we're naive in church world and we think because somebody struggles with homosexuality or because they're openly gay, if they get saved, then they're going to be able to immediately stop and not have any sexual desires towards the same sex anymore. Let me ask you a question. How's that philosophy and mindset working for you in your walk with God? Apply it to you. Have you ever struggled with a desire that didn't line up with the Word of God after you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever been tempted to sin after you were saved? Now, being tempted isn't a sin, but the temptation still legitimate. The feeling's still there. See, we expect some kind of magic thing to happen, and it doesn't because that same sin desire is still there. Now, understanding that and having that perspective can radically change your viewpoint on this subject because you're not looking at a person that's weird. You're not looking at a person that has some kind of issue and that wants to destroy your family. You're looking at an individual who is struggling with an area of sin in their life, and they need Jesus to impact and change their lives. So as a church, that's important for us to remember. It's important for us to know. Think about this. Guys, we'll talk about guys for a second. Don't raise your hands. Don't even make eye contact with anybody around you because I don't want to rat you out, okay? But how many guys, how many guys, be honest with me now, how many guys, look, you're saved. You've accepted salvation. Jesus is your Lord and Savior, all right? Salvation's there, and you got a wife. How many men, though, still have times where that desire to go out and hook up with multiple women still raises this ugly little head and tries to manifest in your life. I would dare say the vast majority of us still wrestle with that because of how, one, how we're designed, but two, because of this carnal stuff that we still live in. See, it's easy for us to look at someone struggling and say, you need to fix this and not take into account and not look at a full perspective of Scripture and understand that the reason they might be struggling with it is because we all deal with the issue of sin in our lives. Make sense? We've got to be careful with that as a church. And I know what you might be saying. Yeah, but you don't understand the way that I feel about this, which is the second, um, the second pushback that you usually get from this community is that um, if... if but my feelings are just so strong. And if 
And if it was wrong, why would I feel this way? Why would I have these feelings? Why would I have these desires? If, if I'm feeling it, then why, how can you tell me that it's wrong for me to do what I feel is right to do? You know, it's, it's right there. It's inside of me. And it connects with the desire issue. But you know what? I've, I've had feelings about stuff, too. Anybody in here remember your first dating relationship? Y'all remember your first person you dated? Y'all remember your first true love? You remember how, I don't know if you went there, I went there with my first love. I was going to spend the rest of my life with this lady. She hung the moon and the stars. She was everything to me. And I had some, I felt a certain kind of way about her. I knew it was going to be forever. And you know what? It didn't last forever. Because how we feel about things sometimes can deceive us. See, I had a strong feelings towards this person, but I didn't have any foundation of commitment in the relationship to make it last. So feelings can get you in trouble. we got to be really careful, people, um, letting feelings give permission or getting feelings explain actions in our lives. Because feelings will get you in trouble. They will get you in trouble. If I did everything I felt like doing... Oh my, can you imagine what this world would look like if just the people in this room did everything we felt like doing? If that gave us a legal right to do it or permission from Scripture because we felt like doing it? You know how many illegitimate children would be in the world just because we felt like doing it? You know how unsafe it would be to drive on the roads? If I felt like doing everything I felt like, if I, if I did everything I felt like doing, there wouldn't be a line in Douglas County that would be safe to be in ahead of me. Oh, I'm the most impatient person on the planet sometimes. I don't get, I was in Starbucks not too long ago. I don't get this, how you see the sign and you see Starbucks. And you think, I want to go inside Starbucks to get some coffee. And then you get in Starbucks and you look at the menu and you just stare at it because you can't make up your mind what you want. And I'm in line behind you. Figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. Let's make up our mind. There was something that clicked in your brain when you saw that sign driving down the road. I want coffee. Something on that menu drew you into Starbucks. It had to get you there and get you in line. But when you stand up there and it's time to tell them, you got nothing? Are you serious? There's people behind you. If I did what I wanted to do, i grab you and i throw you out of the line. And i say, make up your mind over there. We need coffee. That's what I would do. If I did everything I felt like doing, can you imagine? Rush hour traffic in Atlanta. God, I got praying the Holy Ghost when I'm driving through Atlanta sometimes. I'll be honest with you. It's a struggle sometimes. If I did what I wanted to do when I'm driving and there's half a car length in front of me and somebody decides they want to cut over and pull their whole car in that half car length and cut me off and I'm supposed to hit the brakes and let them in, oh, Jesus, help me. If I did what I felt like I wanted to do, I'd get out of that car, walk up to them, straight movie style, punch through that window, grab them by the throat, drag them out, take them to the hood of their car and go, you need to learn how to drive. What you just did was rude. (laughs) But I don't do that. (laughs) I need to pray for your pastor. Y'all ever felt that way, though? Like if we did the stuff we wanted to do, the police officer came up and said, "Uh, so what, what happened here? You don't understand. I felt like doing it. 
I get that. Put your hands behind your back, sir. Okay, here we go. Now, Pastor Josh is going to jail. I'm on the 5 o'clock news. I do a little bit of time, and I get in front of the judge, and the judge says, okay, got the charges. Uh, oh, wow. You, okay, we got damage to personal property. You punched through the window. You drug them out by their throat. That's interesting. And then you beat them repeatedly on the hood of their car. Okay, uh, how do you plead? Not guilty. Here's the thing. I really felt like it. Mm -mm. Not going to fly. Not going to fly. Um, I'm having a little fun here, but here's what we need to understand, okay? Our feelings don't override Scripture. God's facts always trumps our feelings. We don't live by what we feel. We live by what we know according to the Word of God. Now, if that doesn't work in society because there are laws established, what makes you think that argument is going to work in front of God? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to explain to you feelings can deceive you. They can deceive you. Um, the third thing that I hear a lot, and you guys probably hear a lot, is tolerance. You hear this word tolerance all the time. Tolerance in concept is good because that means you can live your life and I can live my life and we can basically tolerate each other. And I can put up with your choices and you can put up with mine. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. In, in our world today, it's that I will live my life the way that I want to and I want you to live your life the way that I want to. And if you don't agree with what I agree with, then you're intolerant of me. But the thing is that you're being intolerant of me by being intolerant of me not being tolerant of you. <laughs> Figure that one out. There's this big circle. And, and so that we get caught up in it. There are, there are three types of basic society in the world. I heard a guy explain it like this. And there's a, a, theo, a theonomy type uh, society where... Um, we live according to God's structure and God's standards, or a spiritual structure and a spiritual standard, which, if we're honest, is ideal according to Scripture, but that's not the reality that we live, with, live in in America today. Um, the second one is uh, a heteronymous type society. That means that you've got a small group of people up top making choices for the masses down below. And you see that play out in communistic societies um, where they will set rules and values and everybody has to adhere to it or they face penalty. We don't live in that kind of society. You'd see um, the third kind of society would be an autonomous society where we as the individual choose our values, our moral position, and how we live our lives. Now, would everyone in here agree that in America right now, that's probably the society that we have? Autonomous. We get to choose. But see, the, the, the issue as a Christian I would have with the position of the majority of the political push from the LGBTQIA community would be that you expect me to respect the fact that you can be autonomous in your choices, but you take a heteronymous approach and how you try to push your point of view onto me. And that's not okay. It's got to work both ways. Does that make sense? Um, tolerance breaks down into three ways. 
socially, legally, and then intellectually. Legally, you can do what you want to do under the covering of the law, and I can't take any action against you because I might have a different point of view. Okay? Socially, we could hang out if you have a different point of view. And intellectually, though, that becomes different. That becomes different. Because let's just say we've got cars, and I want to put gasoline in my vehicle. And you like to take gasoline and put it in your car, but you also like to pour Dr. Pepper in the gas tank. That's your thing. All right? I like to put Dr. Pepper in my gas tank. Now, legally, I can't oppose you. I can't oppose you because you've got every right to put Dr. Pepper in your gas tank if you want to. So I'll put gas in mine, you put Dr. Pepper in yours. Socially, we can even hang out, dude. We can go down to Buffalo Wild Wings. We can eat some food. We can watch football because football season's getting really close. Hallelujah. Thank God. We can, we can have fun. We can sit across the dinner table at Thanksgiving. We can tolerate each other socially. You put Dr. Pepper in your car. I put gas in my car. That's fine. But intellectually, that's where the line has to be drawn, though, because I don't think putting Dr. Pepper in my car is the best course of action. Now, you can put it in yours, but I'm not going to put it in mine. And if you try to put it in mine, I'm going to resist you because it's not your car. Okay? And if you try to push that agenda, I'll resist then. This is what I found. People that operate outside of the parameters that Jesus gave us sexually. What I found is that people that operate outside of those parameters, they, they're not looking for acceptance so much as they're looking for approval for what they're doing. And I want you to hear me, okay? If you're here today and, and, and you're kind of leaning that way and, and same-sex attraction and that desire is there and, and, and you're neck deep in that lifestyle, I want you to hear this, okay? I can accept you because my Jesus accepted you and Jesus loved you. And I can love you because Jesus loved you. But I cannot approve of what you're doing because Jesus never approved of sin. And it has nothing to do with hate. And it has nothing to do with intolerance. It has everything to do with my love for my Jesus that gave his life to pay the price for my sins, who raised from the dead to set me free. It has everything to do with my love for him and my love for you, because I want you to experience his love and his grace and his mercy too. And I don't know how to say it any better than that. It's nothing to do with that. Because God loves you. I want you to know that God loves you. Not just, not, and I'm not just focusing on, on the homosexual lifestyle. Right now. I'm talking anybody who's caught up in any kind of sexual immorality or sin. God loves you. And this is what I want you to know. In Hebrews chapter 4. We're getting ready to close. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. God doesn't just love you. I want you to know that he understands you. God is not some God up in the sky ready to blast you. He understands you. And he wanted to understand you enough that he didn't just send his son to die 
for your sins. Jesus came to walk this earth to understand what it was like to be you and to understand what it was like to be me and to face the struggles and the desires that we face in this stuff called flesh. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You know, sometimes faith means stepping outside of what we feel like we want to do so that we can do what the Word of God says we need to do. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Empathize is a powerful word right there. Because if I, say, if I have sympathy for you, that means that I feel sorry for you. But if I can empathize with you, that means that I know exactly what you're going through. I know how you feel because I've been there before. He's not unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are. That includes sexual sin. That includes being tempted to sin sexually. Now, being tempted doesn't mean that you sin. The Bible says that he was tempted and didn't sin, but he knows what it's like to feel that. He knows what it's like to deal with that desire because he was 100% God and 100% man. And I don't want us to lose focus on that because if you're here today and you're wrestling with that kind of stuff, I want to let you know that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And the reason why he wanted you to know that he knows what you're going through is so that you wouldn't feel awkward or weird or ostracized so that you could freely come in and experience his grace and his mercy, his love and his forgiveness. Because when you come to him, he looks at you and he says, I know I've been there. I know what it's like to be lied to. I know what it's like to be abused. I know what it's like to be shut out. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to be up all night praying and crying because people let you down. I know what it's like to struggle with something inside of you that doesn't line up with Scripture. But I went ahead of you and I paved the way so that we could get you out of that situation and set you free from that desire. See, this is the perspective we've got to keep in church. That we have to approach the issues of life and the political issues that sometimes flare up from a perspective of love and well-rounded biblical truth that doesn't get filtered with our opinion and our interpretation. We have to land on what the Bible says. And I hope today that if you're listening to this podcast or you're here in this service today and you're dealing with a desire for a homosexual relationship or you, you, the same-sex marriage thing is a question mark for you. I hope in everything that I've said today, you haven't experienced anything but love from this pastor. That I've clearly explained to the church and to you what the Bible says. And I've told you I won't back off of it. But I hope that you feel like I haven't grabbed a big sledgehammer and beat you over the head with it. Because I don't believe that that's God's heart. I want to read a text that I got 
from a person earlier in the week. Because when I say that you matter to me as a pastor, you do matter to me as a pastor because I spent the week talking to people who are in same-sex relationships. I spent the week talking to people that are in, is openly gay. I spent the week talking to people who are atheists to get feedback from them, not on what's right and what's wrong. To me, that's a settled issue, and that's never up for debate. But on their perspective of the church and its approach to a sensitive topic like this. I talked to the mother of a transgender child, and I want to read you part of the conversation that I had with her. I talked with her, and then I sent her some text, and this is the text that she sent back to me after she had had some time to think about the questions that I asked her. And she said, okay, I've been thinking a lot about this, and the fact is, your congregation will not or would not love my child because they would not be able to accept and love him for who he is, which is smart and funny and a creative and caring child. They would not love him because they cannot see past what they consider to be sin. She put that in quotation marks because she's writing from a different point of view. They wouldn't be able to see past what they consider sin to acknowledge him as individual that he is. And this is the crux of the problem with Christianity and the LGBTQ community. They can't see past what scares or disgusts or reaches past their understanding to embrace the individual. The people you want your people to love are still people with independent thoughts and all of the feelings just like themselves. I don't know what I or you could say to get these people to love them because it really isn't about vocabulary or a difference of opinion about what constitutes sin. Listen to what this woman writes because this is the issue for the church at least. The problem is love. You can ask or talk to an LGBTQ person about just about anything typically. As long as it comes from a place of love, I'd add that you could talk to just about anybody about anything, as long as it comes from a place of love. The love for the person, for the individual, in my opinion, is what Christians lack. Part of the lack of love may also stem from the whole reason someone in your congregation would probably engage with the LGBTQ community is largely because of their love of God and not for the love of the person. That's powerful. They are not the same. It is easier to love a big daddy in the sky that can do no wrong than it is to love a human who makes mistakes. Any human, much less anyone, that would wear their sin, in quotation marks, so openly. Jesus said that the world would know we were different because of our love for one another. In the big great commandments, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. 
I think that if we as a church, not necessarily Life Point Church, but the church in general, big church with a capital C, is guilty of anything, is that we approach issues and topics sometimes outside of the filter of love. And I think that we can explain our position and we can explain the truth of, word of, God, of the Word of God and not move off of that, but explain it intelligently, seasoned with love. And I believe that we can make a big difference in this world. Hate is easy. And we're never going to impact anybody from a platform of hate. Anytime you look at Jesus, you look at a guy who was always calling out religious people and was always surrounding himself with what the, they would have considered sinners. And not just sinners, but the worst of sinners. Jesus had a way of going to people that were nothing like him and causing people that were nothing like him to want to be around himself. So he approached people. He didn't back off of the truth, but he approached people from a platform of love and brought about change in their lives, never backing off of the truth of the Word of God. And I think if we do the same thing as a church, we can reach a whole lot more people. Amen? Everybody stand. We get ready to close this morning.